You're listening to the Deeper Christian Podcast. This is the podcast to help you study God's Word, know Jesus intimately, and discover how you can build your life around Jesus Christ. I'm Nathan Johnson, and wow, today is episode number 41. I'm so excited for what God has done over these last several months since we started the podcast. Well, today I want to dive into the archive of my sermons and let you listen to an old sermon that I preached nearly six years ago. Let's dive in. This week, I've been cleaning some files on my computer. I'm trying to back up my computer, so I've been wanting to like reorganize some of the files to make it a little bit easier to kind of not only clean, but you know, to find things. Well, I came across a sermon that I preached nearly six years ago. This was a sermon that was preached on November 6th, 2011. Now, I love this sermon. In fact, I've given a miniature version of this sermon several times over the last few years because it's a truth that God has really just deepened and really pressed in my personal life. Well, I came across the longer sermon version of this and I kind of laughed going, wow, six years ago. And then I laughed because as I started listening to it, I was like, wow, I could have done that a whole lot better. Whoa, I can't believe I said that. And yet the truths contained in the sermon are still applicable and powerful for our lives today. So I thought it would kind of be a fun, you know, kind of a kick back into my own personal history to play a sermon for you from six years ago. Now, it comes from the passage in 2 Samuel chapter 5. If you've been struggling with this idea of knowing if God is able or recognizing that in the midst of your trials and in your circumstances, can God come through? Can he break through in my scenario? Well, that is what the sermon is focused upon. Now, again, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to follow along. It's, again, from 2 Samuel chapter 5. Now, the sermon is called Bel Perizim. Let's dive in. Now, what I want to do is I want to look at this Old Testament passage with you. And uh, before we actually get into it, just, uh, just some background, and I know probably a lot of you have this as your background already. But uh, we really believe, we strongly, strongly believe that the entirety of the Word of God points to Jesus. So whether you're reading in the New Testament or whether you're reading in the Old Testament, everything in Scripture points to Jesus, meaning that He is the fulfillment of everything in Scripture. Which tells you that when we're reading or when we're studying or or when we're lifting up Scripture in the Old Testament, uh, I believe it is true, I believe it is factual, I believe it actually happened, But there's a grander picture that it's pointing to, which would be Jesus, uh, which I just think is tremendous. And when you begin to read the Old Testament in light of Jesus, can I tell you what it does? It literally just gives you a whole new perspective of who he is. Now, the other thing that just is really important is context. And if you're one of the students, you're probably going to hear me harp on this all week long. But context is so important. And just to kind of fill you in on some of the context of where this passage, our story, is coming from. At the end of 1 Samuel, uh, King Saul dies by the hand of an Amalekite. Great story. David is told, hey, you are now going to be king. Saul is out of the picture. Uh, His sons are gone. Hey, you get to be king. And uh, David kills the Amalekite and uh, says, all right, I get to be king. And they establish David as king over Judah, which he reigns for seven and a half years. Now, he's not reigning over all of Israel yet. He's just reigning over Judah. Now, chapter 5 enters in, and it says in verse 1 that basically all of Israel comes to David and literally puts him in a place of kingly authority over who they are. Uh, He gets to have the position of kingship over all of Israel. Now, again, this whole looking at the Old Testament in, in view of Jesus It is critical for us to understand that what is going on in the externals, yes, it was factual, uh, yes, it is true, but what is going on in the externals of the Old Testament is now to happen in the internals of our life now. Uh, For example, here you have Israel run by this man by the name of Saul. And I'm I'm sure if you've been around Eric long enough, you've probably heard all this, but uh, Saul is a picture of the flesh. And he is a ruler and controller of Israel. But there is a better man who has been kinged. He has been anointed king over all of Israel. Now, Israel hasn't recognized that yet, but he is king. His name's David. And as the mighty men of David, will you recognize David as the king, even though he's not sitting upon the, king, 
upon the throne yet. And see, this was treason. To see, this was not right. This was not a cultural okay thing. You realize that that is symbolic of what is to happen inside of our lives. That what we have sitting upon our lives is a thing called the flesh. And it is not an authority. Jesus is an authority. Will you let Jesus take over that throne? Uh, another example, maybe. Uh, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Period. He is. One day, every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to fess that Jesus is king. He is king. So Jesus is king. But you recognize, if you look at the world today, it's Jesus is not king. Everything else is king in our culture today. But Jesus is king. Will I live, hey, it's not evident in the physical realm, but will I live with the spiritual reality that he is king? Will I live with this mindset that what is going on in the heavenly realms is to happen right now in the physical realm? And will I allow my life to start being attuned to that reality? What would it look like? Jesus comes, every knee is bowing, every tongue is confessing. It's no surprise to you because that's that's how you've been living. And you could just be jumping up and down saying, I told you, I told you. I mean, that's the reality of what our lives are supposed to be. So what is going on in the externals of the Old Testament is now to happen in here. So take this idea. David is kinged over all of Israel. And there's this big celebration in the land. And we get to our passage, which is 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 17. And I want you to hear this. <clears throat> 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 17. says this. Now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of the Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtlessly deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David went to Belperazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore he called the name of the place Belperazim. And they left the images there, and David and his men carried them away. Then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of the Rephaim. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, and he said, You shall not go up. Rather circle around behind them and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be that when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did so as the Lord commanded him. And he drove back the Philistines from Geba as far as Gezer. I love this passage. What I want to do this morning, I literally want to walk through the passage with you. And as I do, I want to literally pull out some cool nuggets. And then... I want to apply it in our reality. But as we go through this, remember that what is going on in the externals of the old is now to happen here. So what David is symbolizing, yes, it was factual. Yes, it was true. But what is going on in our passage is now to happen here in your life. Are you ready? So here's verse 17. It says, Now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel... All of the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Isn't it just like the flesh? Or I'll say it this way. Isn't it just like the enemy? That the moment that the true and righteous king sits upon the throne, the enemy comes and says, no, I will not have it. And the enemy comes, surrounds and says, I'm going I'm to do everything in my power to get the king off the throne. I don't know if you felt that, but that has gone on in my life. I say, I want Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords in my life. Ah, it's wonderful. He is king. He sits upon the throne. And it's like all hell breaks loose. And every enemy faction within my soul around me, it seems like they all gather together and they're like, no, we will not have it. Why? Because it's threatening the flesh. And it's like the Philistines of my soul rise up. And they say, we will not have Jesus king over your life. We refuse it. In fact, we are going to go and plant ourselves in the place where we can fight you. Not sure you've ever experienced that, but I have. 
Uh, then the Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of the Rephaim. So here's the Philistines, and it says that all the Philistines, which I don't know if you know Hebrew, but do you know what the Hebrew word for all means? All. So it's this idea that here's, there's this huge, just this huge troop of Philistines, and they gather in this place called the valley of the Rephaim. And David hears about it and says, all right, the Philistines are all gathered here in the valley of the Rephaim. What are you going to do about it? And here's David, and he's in the stronghold, and he's going to go and fight in the Valley of the Rephaim. Now, this is really fascinating. The Valley of the Rephaim, see, it's not just some little valley out in the middle of Israel somewhere. Uh, you, you, you probably know this, but the people who kind of came in and took over Canaan, the, the promised land area, when the Israelites were in Egypt, uh, they were like the meanest, nastiest, ugliest people that Satan could produce. And there's a whole group of these people that were giants. And the valley of the Rephaim literally means the valley of the giants. And they're not there, obviously, so there's no giants there at at this moment. But it's like all the ruins of the giant city is there. Isn't it just like the enemy? That when he wants to come after something that he sees, it's, oh, I want it. He's going to use every strategy and tactic possible. Which means what? I'm going to find the most intimidating, threatening place And set myself right there. See, the Philistines did not come and fight against David in Jerusalem. That would be stupid. They they found the most intimidating, uh, most... See, everyone knew the valley of the Rephaim. So here's David, and he's been told, Hey, the Philistines are in the valley of the Rephaim. And the people around him are probably going, Ooh, the valley of the Rephaim. Why? Because it's a place of... That's where the giants lived. You understand that when we go and fight them, we're going to be walking past pillars and houses that are massive. It's intimidating. Well, yeah, it's an enemy strategy. <clears throat> I don't watch movies very, very often. But there's this old movie called Little Giants about these uh, two little football teams. And uh, here's, this, here's the normal football team. They had all the Whoa! kind of guys like Ben and Eric and... Those, this that whoa, kind of thing. And, and here they were. They had all, like, all these muscular, just good-looking, you know, like elementary school kids. And, uh, and here were like these really small, nerdy guys. And, and, then, and the small, little, nerdy guys wanted to play on the big football team. And so they tried out, and they weren't able to make the team. And uh, so one of the nerdy fathers decided that he was going to uh, coach the, a little nerdy team. And this guy and this guy, the coaches, happen to be brothers. And so there's this big rivalry. And uh, they decided, you know what? We're going to have a playoff between the whoa and the huh teams. <laughs> and uh, so they're going to have this head-to-head thing. And whoever won that was going to be able to play further on. And uh, so, so you know, the, 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 com- the comedy of the movie is basically you see these little wimpy huh team they're just, you know, they're, they're trying to pump muscle, and they're, they're doing the, obviously I do these all the time. What's the thing, Dan, that you take the pull-ups? <laughs> Sorry. Yes, those things. Uh, you can tell I do them all the time. And uh, so they're doing pull-ups, but they're standing on chairs, you know, because that's the only way they can do it. And, and, they're, and they're, they're trying, they're trying. Well, it gets to be game day. And uh, so you see this little, small Wimpy, nerdy team. Well, they have no ability to fight the big, muscular, kind of team. Well, how are they going to do it? Intimidation. So they paint their faces. Oh, and uh, there's one scene. The, the whole point of this is for this scene. They're on the line. And right before they got to the line, they were in their huddle. And uh, one of the guys passed out Alka-Seltzers. And they get to the line. And they all pop the Alka-Seltzer in. And they're just like, and they start going, Urgh! And the Alka-Seltzer starts foaming, so they're just foaming. And <laughs> But the whole point of that was intimidation. See, that's what's going on in our passage. They didn't have Alka-Seltzer, so we're going to find the most intimidating place that we can have a war in. And it's going to be the Valley of the Rephaim. Why? Because it's mean, it's nasty, it's intimidating. It's You, you merely walk upon it, and you're just... Your heart starts beating. Why? Because I probably shouldn't be here. What if a giant is hiding behind a corner? They could still be here, you know. 
And David is told, hey, the Philistines are coming out to get you. Why? Because you've been made king. And now they're supplanted themselves in the valley of the Rephaim. So David inquires of the Lord. And David prays, oh God, shall I go up against the Philistines? And will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord says to David, go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. Oh, what a passage. What a passage. Doubtless deliver. God says, I will, without a doubt, deliver them into your hands. I will, without a doubt, deliver them into your hands. Now, the word there, deliver, has kind of become one of my favorite Hebrew words. Uh, The word deliver in the Hebrew is the verb form of the word Nathan. It's a great word. Uh, Nathan means a gift of God or a gift from God. And I think my mother chose well. So, uh, just kidding, just kidding. That was a joke. Uh, But it means a gift or to give something. So the verb of of Nathan, a gift from God, is literally to give or to set something. It's that idea. What's really fascinating about this word in Hebrew, this idea of doubtlessly deliver, uh, when you look it up in in the Hebrew, it it gives you three different ideas or it paints three different pictures of what is tied in with this word. And I want to give you those three pictures because I just think it illuminates and just opens up this passage. Uh, One of those ideas for doubtlessly deliver means to give. And it's the idea as the production of fruit. So you, you look up, you go to a fruit tree. And uh, you see this fruit tree, and it's uh, standing there. Oh, good fruit. Oh, amazing fruit. Oh, probably tastes really good too. And this fruit tree is just blossoming. Do you ever go up to the fruit tree and go, hey, produce fruit? No. Do you ever go up to the fruit tree and try say, hey, why aren't you doing something? Do it. See, fruit trees do not do fruit. They bear fruit. Does that make sense? See, you'll never look at a, a fruit tree that's going, ah, trying to bear tr- fruit. <laughs> Why? Because the natural outflow of a healthy tree is fruit. If you go up to any healthy tree, any healthy fruit tree, and it's the right time of the year, guess, what, well, guess what's going to be on it? Fruit. Why? Because that's the natural outflow of a fruit tree. And this is kind of off topic, but when Paul says, hey, the fruit of the Spirit, do you realize that he's not looking at you saying, do fruit? Which means you're not to, I'm going to produce love. I'm going to produce patience. It's not that. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying, Paul says, hey, if you get smack dab in the middle of Jesus, do you know what the outflow of a life in the Spirit is? Oh, it's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, and self-control. You can't help but that stuff being produced in your life. So would you just get into Jesus and let him begin to produce it through you? This is not, will you strive and just try harder? That's not that. It's just like a tree just hangs his leaves out there and just, pop. there it is. That's what your life's supposed to be. The fruit of the Spirit. That's your life. So here's, here's, here's God. He looks at David. And David says, oh God, oh God. Here's all these Philistines in the most intimidating place. Will you save us? And God says, I will, without a doubt. In fact, uh, you know, David, that if you go over uh, to one of your orchards and you look and it's a healthy tree in the springtime, guess what's going to be on there? Fruit. Just as you have no doubt that a healthy fruit tree is going to produce fruit, So you should have no doubt that I'm going to come through and give you victory over the Philistines. Do you know how tremendous that is? Do you know what confidence you could have? But it's not only the picture of a fruit tree. Uh, The the second picture it paints, or the second idea, is this idea of to put or to place. And it's the idea of to literally put something literally in its place. And uh, one of the best examples of this is stars or the sun and the moon. In uh, Genesis chapter 1, It says, then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, which would be the sun, and the lesser light, the moon, to rule the night, 
He made the stars also. God set. It's that word. It's that verb form of Nathan. He set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. Do you know what God is saying? David, I will, without a doubt, deliver, deliver the Philistines into your hands. In fact, go down to your orchard. Just as you know that a fruit tree is going to produce fruit, without a doubt, you can be confident that I'm going to give you victory. In fact, David, tonight, go outside, look in the sky, and if there's no clouds in the sky, you will, without a doubt, see stars. And just as you know, without a doubt, that there'll be stars in the sky. Or if you want more of a modern uh, picture of that, there will be a sun coming up tomorrow. Tomorrow, tomorrow, I love you tomorrow. Hey, the sun will come up tomorrow. You can bet your bottom dollar (laughs) that tomorrow there'll be sun. It's true. It's that idea. And God is really looking at David saying, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you. Just as you know the sun is going to come up in the morning. Just as tonight you can go out and look at the stars in the sky and know without a doubt they're going to be there. So you can have confidence knowing that I will, without a doubt, deliver the Philistines into your hands. Ah, The third picture it paints is to make or to constitute something. For example, as when God was making Abraham the father of many nations. In Genesis, the middle of Genesis, God comes up to Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. In fact, count the stars. Count the sand on the seashore. Can you count it? Abraham says, no. He says, just as you can't count and number, that's what I'm going to do to your descendants. You realize by the time that David comes along, he has seen this being fulfilled. There are so many Israelites that you probably can't number them. And God says, I promise you, oh, I promise you. Just as you know that a fruit tree is going to bear fruit. Just as you know that the stars are going to be in the sky. Just as you know, hey, look around your own people, David. Just as you've seen the fulfillment of the promise that I made to Abraham. Just as you know that that is true. Can I tell you, David, I promise that without a doubt, I will hand the Philistines into your hands. Do you know what boldness and confidence you would have as David walking into the battle the next day? If I was David, I would look at my troops and say, God's promised, you sit this one out. I'll just do it myself. (laughs) God's promised. Now, he didn't do that, obviously. But you realize that when he's marching in to fight, what a boldness and a confidence that David can have because he knows without a doubt he's going to be granted the victory. Can I tell you, whatever the enemies are in your life, can I just tell you, I promise you, I promise you. In fact, just like a fruit tree bears fruit. Hey, if you were to go out tonight, and if it's a clear night, probably won't be, but if it's a clear night, and you look in the sky, and you see the stars, just as you know that the stars are going to be in the sky, just as you know the sun's going to come up in the morning, hey, just as you know that God has fulfilled his promise with with all the descendants of Abraham, just as you know that is true, can I tell you that God will get rid of your enemies as well? And that whatever the enemy faction is in your life, I will, without a doubt, deliver you. I'm glad one person's excited. I mean, that is tremendous. Do you realize that God says, do not be afraid. Why would we be afraid? Because we think they can beat us up. Do you realize that we can march into the victorious Christian life with a boldness and a confidence? Why? He's promised without a doubt. (laughs) So he's gained the victory. In verse 20, it says this. So David went to Belperazim, this valley of the giants, and David defeated them there. Woo! And David says, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. And therefore, he called the name of that place Bel-Perazim. God grants this tremendous victory. David says, 
we are no longer going to call this place the Valley of Giants. I am renaming this place. What are you going to call it? Oh, let's call it Bel Parasim. Obviously, it moves you because I can just see the excitement. <clears throat> Parasim comes from this word Perez in the Hebrew. I mean, it's a masculine noun indicating a gap, a break. It refers to a rupture, a tear, a breaking up, or a shattering of something. And throughout Scripture, it's used most often in two different ways. Uh, one picture or one way it's used is that of a dam. So you have this, you have this dam. And in their time, obviously, probably made of, out of uh, dirt or s- sticks or a beaver dam or something. <laughs> so you have this dam. And you, you know what happens with dams? You get a little crack and it's like this water is just... Pssst, and suddenly... You need to start running. Why? Because there's so much pressure that there's going to be a rupture or a break in the dam. And suddenly, and all the water flows out. That's this word. That there's a breakthrough. It's just a, and a rupture happens. And a breakthrough occurs. Uh, The other way this is often used throughout scripture is that in childbearing. And I'm not an expert, obviously. Um, But it's the picture of of bearing children. And uh, there's a story in Genesis where uh, you know, Jacob has these 12 sons, <clears throat> and one of them is named Judah. And he has three sons, and he marries the first one off to this lady named Tamar, or Tamar, however you want to pronounce it. And uh, they get married, they don't have any children, but he dies. And so, according to culture, Judah gives the nextborn to, to Tamar, and, and they marry, and suddenly they don't have children, and he dies. And Judah's first thought is, I'm not giving my third son, because every time this woman marries any guy he dies and there's no children and so he asked her hey will you wait until my son grows up a little bit more kind of wanting to prolong the whole thing and uh, she's just that is not right and so she goes into this street corner and kind of dresses herself up and a Judah comes along and uh, everyone knows the story and with being kids around you know what happens and several months later uh, Judah, do you know that your daughter-in-law is pregnant now? And it says that he was furious. And says, bring her out and we're going to burn her. According to culture. How could she do such a thing? This is unacceptable. And uh, she had taken a pledge. A, a staff and a, and a little pledge. And she gives it to Judah saying, the father of the child, these belong to him. Do you know whose they are? He goes, oh, they're mine. And he says, oh, he repents and does this whole thing. And Well, now she's pregnant. And it says there's twins in her womb. And this is uh, Genesis chapter 38. Now it came to pass at the time for giving birth that, behold, twins were in her womb. And so it was that when she was giving birth that one of him put out his hand and the midwife took a scarlet thread and bound it on his hand, saying, this one came out first. Then it happened as he drew back his hand that his brother came out unexpectedly. And she said, how did you break through? (laughs) And so they gave him the name, how did you break through? And they named him Perez, which meant breakthrough. Here's David, Valley of the Giants. Gains this tremendous victory. God just breaks through. And David says, we will no longer call this place the Valley of Giants. Do you know what we're going to call it? Baal Perizim. And Baal in the Hebrew, yes, it's a god, but it also in the Hebrew it means lord or master. Literally, they named the place the master of breakthroughs. Oh. Do you know who our God is? Our God is the master of breakthroughs. Uh, have you ever seen a locksmith? There are locksmiths who can open some safes. They can get into your car uh, when you need them to get in your car. And um, they can open locks. But then there are master locksmiths. Well, what does it mean to be a master locksmith? It means you can break into anything. Nothing can keep you out. Why? You are a master locksmith. Do you know that our God is not just a God of breakthroughs? Our God is not a God of breakthroughs. Our God is the master of breakthroughs. What does that mean? That means there is nothing in your life that God can't break through in. 
Woo! Isn't that awesome? I mean, I don't know about you, but man, the circumstances, the situations that are going on in my life, I don't need a God who can just break through. I need a God who's a master of breakthroughs, who will come into my situation, come into my circumstances, come in and face my enemies, and deal with... And see, if it was just a God of breakthroughs, well, there may be someone out there that he can't win. But he's the master of breakthroughs. Meaning that every foe, every, there's nothing that can stop our God. Excuse me while I have a fit. I mean, I mean, do you realize that the God that we love, the God that we serve, is so beyond comprehension, that is so beyond In fact, our God loves the impossibilities. In fact, our God not only loves impossibilities, oftentimes he puts more impossibilities in the way of the impossibilities. So that when he breaks through, there is no doubt in anyone's mind that it was him. And we can tell you story after story after story after story after story of God being the master of breakthroughs. Our God is the master of breakthroughs. So you realize that from this point forward, whenever anyone came into this valley, it was no longer known as the Valley of Giants. This was, hey, they saw the the crumbled ruins of the giants and they said, whoa, look at that. My God broke through. Hey, you know what happened here? Let me tell you this story because our God is a master of breakthroughs. Tremendous, tremendous truth. Now, wouldn't you know it? That happens, and the next verse says this. And they left their images there, and David and his men carried them away. Now, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, but it's deceiving what it says. It sounds like, I hear the Philistines, they left all their idols, and David's men go, whoo, treasures. And they took them. That's not what happened. In fact, if you went back to the old law that Moses gave in Deuteronomy, it says, hey, you're going to come into these countries, you're going to come into these places, And this is what you're supposed to do. Thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars and break down their sacred pillars, cut down their wooden images, and burn their carved images with fire. I thought you just said David took them. I know, that's what the writer of Samuel said. But if you look at the same passage, the same story, in Chronicles, uh, Chronicles 14, it says, And when the Philistines left their gods there, David gave a commandment and they were burned with fire. So I just wanted to clarify, it's not that David and his troops took the treasure. It's they had all these idols there, And they burned them with fire. Why is that important? You realize that when God takes a hold of your life and the flesh is removed, it's like he leaves trinkets and treasures almost to trip you up. And hey, if you can get wowed and just awed by the idols and the trinkets, then he still has power. And God says, rather than getting tripped up, will you let me just burn them with fire and get rid of it? Do you know what God wants to do in your life? Every ounce of the flesh needs to be removed. And when the flesh is removed, anytime you find a trinket, anytime you find a treasure, anytime you find anything of the flesh, God wants to remove it by fire himself. I would encourage you at some point to look at your life. And most of you can say, oh, God is a master of breakthroughs in my existence. Oh, man, God is just moving in my life. If you find that there is stuff still of the flesh, would you let him get rid of it? Would you let him burn it? Because it's not supposed to be in your life. You go into verse 22, just like the enemy. Then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves... In the valley of the Rephaim. I just thought David took care of it. He did. They came back. You realize the enemy is never satisfied with one defeat. He is always going to be just wah, wah, wah on you. Why? He wants control. So here's the whole Philistine army saying, okay, we got defeated. Let us come back again. And let's try again. And so they come back and they deploy themselves in the same valley. Now, if you were David, what would you do? If I, if, if I was David, I would march in there. Hey, God told me victory. I would go in. I would march in. I would just 
do the same thing I did before. Same people, same problem, same place, similar circumstances. Hey, God answered. Why would I do it the same way? That's not David's attitude. Do you know what David's attitude is? David inquired of the Lord again. And the Lord said, you shall not go up. Rather, circle around behind them and come up upon them in front of the mulberry trees. God, I, I, I thought you were uh, same people, same circumstances, same place. Surely you give the same answer. God doesn't. Similar, similar story. Uh, if you hop over to Numbers chapter 20, you don't have to turn there, but uh, here's, here's all the Israelites wanting in the, in the wilderness. <clears throat> and uh, here's this big, huge rock thing, and they're screaming at Moses, Oh, Moses, we're going to die of thirst. And Moses goes, God, look at the people that you gave me. Will you, will you satisfy them? God says, oh, sure, take your stick, bang on the rock, water will come out. Moses goes, great idea. Pop. And it literally satisfies the thirst of all the people. Several years go by, same people, similar circumstances, same problem. Oh, Moses, we're dying of thirst. All right, God, what do you want to do here? See this rock? I see the rock. Speak to the rock. Water will come out. Moses takes a stick. Pop, pop. Water comes out. And then God looks at Moses. And do you know what he says? Moses, you did not believe me. And therefore, I'm not letting you enter into the promised land. Excuse me? God says, hey, you disobeyed me. I told you to speak at the rock and you hit it. And yes, I will still bring the water, but you disobeyed me. Wouldn't it be interesting that we could have the same problem, the same situation, the same people, similar circumstances, and how God wants to handle it in this situation is completely different than how he wants to handle it here. And what would it look like if we were so dependent upon him that rather than just assume this is what he's always going to do, oh, well, here I am, the Valley of the Rephium, Philistines are coming out against me. Obviously, God is without a doubt giving it to me. I know all that. I'm going to march in. Rather than running with assumption, what would it look like if we step back in dependency? You realize dependency is not, well, God said it once, so I'm going to just do it again. Dependency is, God, how do you want to move in this moment? How do you want to speak in my life this very second? Hey, how do you want to handle this situation? I know it's identical to last time, but do you want to do something different this time? Do you know what God tells David? Sit this one out. Hey, I, I know I know. we had a great victory. I broke through. And hey, just as all this stuff happened, but they came back. Why don't you sit this one out? And when you hear me marching on the tops of the mulberry trees, and it shall be that when you hear the sound of the marching on the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly. For then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. David, why don't you just... Why don't you take your man, go around back, sit over there, and when you hear me and my troops marching in the mulberry trees, then why don't you just rush in and just watch and see what I'm going to do. And yes, you can participate. Yes, you can be involved. But this is not, you're going to go out and do it. This is, will you let me just handle it? And wouldn't it be interesting that the same struggles, the same enemies that I keep facing over and over and over again, if God says, let me just do a brand new thing in your life. Will you, will you just, will you be in dependency and surrender to the point where you will lift your fingers off of it and let me handle it? Yes, you may be involved. Uh, yes, you may have an active participation in it. But let me do it. Do you know what happens? The Philistines are literally driven back. And it says that David did so as the Lord commanded him. And he drove back the Philistines from Geba as far as Gezer, uh, which is their hometown. Literally, they drove them back where they came from. I mean, what does God want to do in your life? Wouldn't it be interesting? God, you know, 40 years ago, 
You told me this. You promised me this. You told me victory. Oh, I've been living in that. And yes, I'm experiencing the same situation now. And I know how you're going to handle it. You want, want you to sit over there? I'll, I'll deal with it. I know your answer. When all the time God's like, why would you want to do this without me? Why, why wouldn't you just release this and let me so fill you up and cause a victory to happen that literally drives your enemies back to where they came from? Uh, a few implications, maybe some thoughts. Here's the Valley of the Rephaim, which is a picture of your soul. It's the Valley of Giants. The flesh has always had control. It's always had rulership. God wants to come in and change the name from a Valley of Giants to the Master of Breakthroughs. Is your life a picture of the Master of Breakthroughs? When someone looks at your life, do they say, oh, giants, oh, fear, anxiety, gossip, lust, ah, ah. Or do they say, oh, have you seen that person's life? It's like there's always a breakthrough. I can't understand it. And we become a demonstration of the master of breakthroughs in our life, in our world, in our generation. This is not, all right, I'm going to be the master of breakthroughs and people are going to watch me. This is, will I release it and let him become the master of breakthroughs in and through my life? Is that the reality of your life? Is he your master of breakthroughs? I want to take you one, one, one little step further. The Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the picture was, God's out there, I'm down here. God tells me what to do, I obey, I respond, I do it. He yells at me, I, okay. But he's out there, I'm over here. Nothing bad with that, that was perfectly good. It was right. It was exactly what we needed. It was preparing the people for the next level. What was the next level? The outside God comes to be inside. We do not serve an outside God any longer. Can I tell you, my life radically was changed when I realized that. See, all growing up, it's been, oh, he's watching from a distance. Oh, God's out there. He's giving me commandments, and I'm having to work up a response and a solution. That's not a new covenant mentality. The God out there has come to dwell in here and now he wants to obey his commands through my life. He wants to bring about the solution through my life. He wants, to be, he wants me to be dependent upon him in my life. Well, does that mean you're doing nothing? No. I'm actively participating. But it's him in my life. This is not me working it out. This is him in my life whoa, bringing it about. If that's true... What would it look like for everybody in this room this morning to be kicked up to a whole nother level? Well, what do you mean, Nathan? Master of breakthroughs. God's out there. I'm done here. David's going out and just conquering. Whoa, that's wonderful. But what would have happened if it wasn't just, God, I'm, I have this moment, I have this experience, and I need you to be the master of breakthroughs. See, that's a God out there, I'm down here perspective. Could you go up to a whole nother level and say, God, I want to live in the master of breakthroughs. That moment by moment, every single second of every single day, I'm literally dwelling in you who is the master of breakthroughs. That it wasn't, oh, I'll turn to you when I need help. Not, oh, I'll ask you when I need something. Not, hey, will you come through on this moment? But Jesus, at this very second, oh, how do you want to break through in my life? Jesus, how do you want to break through in this conversation? Oh, Jesus, how do you want to break through in my family? Oh, Jesus, how do I just, how do I speak love to the person at Walmart? Oh, God, how do you break through? How do you break through? Can I give you one simple idea? In the 17th century, one of my favorite people of history uh, was this monk by the name of Brother Lawrence. And uh, Brother Lawrence uh, 
came into the monastery kind of older, later on in life. And he was given the duty of dishwasher, which is just an exciting duty as a monk, right? And uh, he's washing dishes. He's doing, he's, you know, cooking, that kind of stuff. And every so many hours, they would ding the bell, and the monks would have to go down to the, to the altar of prayer, and they would pray for an hour or so, come back into their duties. Several times a day, this would happen. And Brother Lawrence said, what would happen if, what if I made washing dishes the same as spending time at the altar? In other words, can the spiritual reality, can the height of spiritual relationship and experience and intimacy with Jesus at an altar in prayer, could that be as real and alive, as intense as washing dishes? And he began to do something, what he called practicing the presence of God. Which was it? Oh, I'm going to turn to God in my problems. Oh, God, will you just break through in this moment? And then I'm going to ignore you the rest of the time. It was, God, I want to live in the flow and attitude and atmosphere of who you are. To the point that moment by moment, second by second, I'm just, I'm communing with you. Paul said, pray without ceasing. Literally, it's a, I'm just going to have a constant conversation and a constant flow of who you are in my life. And, and as I'm talking to somebody, I'm just going to, I'm praying at the same time, just thinking about you and bringing that person, just bringing you into every moment. I'm having a problem, I'm bringing you into the problem. I'm having a good moment, I'm bringing you into the good moment. Oh, I'm just experiencing crisis, I'm bringing you into the crisis. I'm eating green beans. Oh, I'm eating green beans with Jesus. Oh, Jesus, aren't these green beans the most wonderful green beans you've ever tasted? What would happen if that became a reality? That God wasn't set aside for a moment of your day. That God, well, chapter day keeps the devil away. I'll spend 15 minutes in prayer and lock him in my prayer closet and go about my day and come back. And It's not that idea. God wants intimacy. He wants to be the master of breakthroughs in your life every moment of every day. And is it possible for the most intimate times with Jesus, could that be as real and as alive and as, a, as much of a reality at an altar of prayer or as an Ellerslie experience or that Thursday night at a high school camp or whatever that may be for you, could that experience be in the same place as washing your dishes? And Brother Lawrence got to the point where he said, there is no difference for me between kneeling at an altar in prayer and washing dishes with all the clanging and clamor of dishes in the background. That the, the level of intimacy that I'm experiencing with him is no different between one and the other. Is every moment of your every day at the pinnacle of intimacy with Jesus? And if not, why isn't it? Because he wants that with you. He wants intimacy. Oh. And he literally wants to be the master of breakthroughs every moment of every day. That you're not just turning to him, but it's you're constantly living in the breakthrough of who he is. Pray with me, Jesus. Jesus, for so long, yes, you've been my God. Yes, you've been my Lord. Oh, yes, you've been in charge. But Lord, it seems like there's times in my life that it's during those hard moments that I'm just crying out saying, God, I need a solution. Will you break through in this moment? And God, you are the master of breakthroughs. Oh, thank you for being the master of breakthroughs. But God, could that reality become mine every moment of every single day? God, would you somehow press me to the place that it's not just sometimes, it's a constant, consistent, moment by moment, responding, depending, surrender to you. God, would you so fill me up that I don't live as if you're out there somewhere. I get to have communion with you because you live in here. God, would you search my life? Oh, God, search my life. And Lord, though the Philistines may be defeated, Lord, if there is any, any, any 
thing left of the enemy in my life, would you just clearly show it to me and then burn it with who you are? Oh, burn it in your fire, God. God, I desperately need freedom from every ounce of enemy faction in my life. So God, in dependency, I turn to you. Oh, I'm just crying out that the inside God would not only get rid of the Philistines of my life, but would remove every single thing that is not of you. Oh, God, do that in me. And Jesus, I just pray for the people in this room that would you give us a heavenly perspective of who you are today? Lord, there are enemies that these people are facing. Lord, there are circumstances we're in the middle of that seem so beyond us. And the only solution we have is if the master of breakthrough comes and breaks through. God, we can't force you. We can't manipulate you. But Lord, if we respond and we open ourselves up, I know you want, without a doubt, to bring forth victory. Would you do that in our hearts and lives today? And would you press us into a deeper, overwhelming love and dependency upon you? Oh, we just passionately, overwhelmingly love and adore you. And we thank you so much for what you're doing in us and through us. And that we just proudly sing in your holy and precious and most powerful name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening. For show notes of this episode, please visit deeperchristian.com forward slash 41 for episode number 41. And remember that despite the circumstance that you're in the middle of, God is the master of breakthroughs. Until next time, know I am cheering you on as you build your life around Jesus Christ.